Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. We uh, had the audio wasn't clicked on. So you should be able to hear everything now. So the... Uh, Okay, so, uh, Pastor, if you can blow the trumpet. Hello, Heavenly Father, as we come aside on young Teruah, the blowing of the trumpet, so, Heavenly Father, that you would walk us through this day and give us some meaning that we may have an understanding of what ancient Israel did. And even though the sacrifice is different and Yeshua is our sacrifice, we still blow the trumpet and we still keep the day of young Teruah as you have given in your holy scriptures and the statutes and the laws. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Amen. Praise his name. Uh, this is the day they call the blowing of the trumpets, and we want to look. In, we want to look into that blowing of the trumpets and see some of the meanings that we can get from this particular day. That as we continue on in the future, that we will have some insight of how uh, this day is to be celebrated, because one of the things that we'll find that many who celebrate this day, uh, they do it from a tradition, and some of the traditions are found in scriptures. However, some of the scriptures uh, does not support a lot of the positions that many of us have on the Feast of Trumpets. So to get started, let us turn into our scriptures into the book of Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus, we want to look at the 23rd chapter of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23, and our first text, or verses that is, are found in this chapter, in verses 23 to 25. So let's consider those verses as we uh, consider uh, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. Now, here we are told in Leviticus chapter 23, starting with verse 23, it says, <clears throat> and Yah spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, ye shall have a Shabbat, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahuwah. Okay, so here in this particular passage, it is laying out some things for us. And so we want to look at some of those. Now, the Feast of Trumpets, known as Yang Teruah, meaning a day of blowing. So when we talk about Teruah, we are talking about a blowing. And when we say Yom uh, Teruah, the word Yom means day in Hebrew. So when we say Yom Teruah, we are talking about a day of blowing. So this feast is about the only one 
which we aren't given much detail concerning how it is to be kept. We are told that when it is to be kept and what to do on this particular feast, it was to be kept on the first day of the seventh month, which is a new moon. They were also to offer an offering, a sacrifice appropriate for the occasion. So here we have the seventh month, trumpets were to be blown and sacrifices were to be offered. Now, however, because there isn't much details given other than the three we mentioned, namely, when it was to take place, which was on the first day of the seventh month, and then the second thing we looked at, they were to blow trumpets all day long. And the third thing that it points out to us, to offer a sacrifice. So sometimes when Elohim gives us things to do and he doesn't supply much details, this then, how are we to respond to such? This may be why many who keep the feast of trumpets add their traditions to this feast. There are a number of festivals keepers all over the earth who keep this feast in different ways and, in, and for different purposes. Some of the following traditions in how some keep the feast of trumpets and what they are celebrating uh, may differ largely from the way the Bible teaches it. Now, we want to look at some of the following tradition. Some say that it is a new year. They call it Rosh Hashanah, a new year. Now, now the problem with calling it a new year is the fact that there's no scriptural basis of calling it a new year. Now, uh, let's turn to the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we want to look at chapter 12. And we want to look at verse number 2, Exodus 12, 2. And see what Elohim says. Okay. Now, in the 12th chapter of Exodus, in verse number 2, the Bible says, uh, now, understand, this is y'all talking to Moses. And, and he's also talking to Aaron in the land of Egypt. And verse 2 says, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, remember, here in Exodus, when it says this is the beginning of the month, it is not talking about the seventh month. This text in, 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 in Exodus 12 is dealing with Passover. So we know it's not talking about uh, uh, any Rosh Hashanah. But what we do see in the first month is that he said, this shall be the first month for you in the year. So he's pointing out that the head of the month, see Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. See Rosh means head and Shana means year. So when you deal with Rosh Hashanah, you're dealing with the head of the year. And the Bible explicitly says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, that the beginning of months for them was the month of, of the Abib. Elohim expressly said to Moses that the month which was in the month of Aviv 
which came in the springtime of the year. However, the seventh month was in the autumn of the year. Even many who call themselves Jews say that there are two years, the civil year and the religious year. However, the scriptures only speak of one year starting in the spring of the year, in the month of the Abib. And many call this the first month, the month of Abib. But the month of the beef just simply means that that's when the barley was grown in that particular month. It's not necessarily named the month of a beef. It is the first month, but they call it a beef because that's when the barley grew in that particular month, which was in the spring. So when we look at that, we see that Elohim says it's his new year start in the spring. Okay, now let us turn to uh, let's turn to the book of Esther, and in the book of Esther, we want to look at uh, the the eighth chapter, uh, Esther, and we want to look at uh, chapter chapter eight. Let me see. All right, let me see Esther. Now here in Esther, we, 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 we are shown some of the dates as well. Right. Now here in Esther chapter eight, we want to look at verse 12, Esther 8, 12. All right, and here what the Bible says, it says here in verse 12 of the eighth chapter, it said upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So the 12th month, according to the scriptures, is the month of Adar. So one would have to think, now, if you're saying it's Rosh Hashanah, a new year, how do you jump over the first month and then the 12th month is the month of Adar? How does the seventh month all of a sudden become the beginning or the Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so what we are basically saying is that if we are putting Rosh Hashanah or the new year on the seventh month, it has no biblical basis. Now, some use this uh, feast day to party or to have a picnic whereby one can even engage in secular rather than spiritual activity. However, what we want to do is to try and keep this feast in harmony with what the scripture says concerning this feast by adhering to what Elohim reveals to Moses. Now, let us turn to the book of Deuteronomy. And we want to look at a few texts in the book of Deuteronomy. And the first one we want to look at is in Deuteronomy. And we want to look at chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And... We want to look at verse 2, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. Now, here's what Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2 says. It says, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of Yah, your Elohim, which I command you. So, in other words, he's saying you, we can't add to his word, and we shouldn't diminish from it. Okay, let, let, let us go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12. 
and this time we want to go to uh, verse number 32, Deuteronomy 12, 32. And then the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy 12, it says, what things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. And even in the book of Revelation, even though we don't have to turn there, the book, the book of Revelation said we should not add to that word, nor take away from it. So when we start adding traditions to what Elohim has given, then if that tradition not, not aligned itself with the word, then that tradition should not be followed, as far as I can see it. Now, the way that we will proceed is that we will follow an outline as to how we can keep the day of blowing of trumpets and being in harmony with what Yah's word says and seeing how we can engage in the day without adding our man-made traditions nor taking away what the scriptures say concerning this matter. Now, we would call this teaching the trumpet truth, the trumpet truth, okay? That's what we'll call it, the trumpet truth. All right, as we deal with this trumpet truth, we want to turn to the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, we want to turn to chapter 10, and we want to also read verse 10. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over your sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your Elohim. I am Yah your Elohim, all right? So when we deal with the truth of the trumpets, in this discourse, we want to concern ourselves with three aspects of the Feast of Trumpets, also called Yom Teruah. The first aspect of the Feast of Trumpets, we'll call, the first aspect we'll call the trumpet theology, the trumpet theology. Now, the trumpet theology, what is that? Okay, when we talk about theology, the word theos means God or Elohim, and ology means the study of. So when we look at the trumpet from, from a theological standpoint, what we are saying is we are looking at trumpets from the way that Elohim sees the trumpet. We have to see as he sees it. And when we can see it as he said, that, that is what you call true theology. If Elohim doesn't see it the way that we see it, then that's false theology. We cannot add our false theology to true theology and think that he will accept it. What Elohim's accept is what he put out. And if he didn't put it out, he doesn't accept it. We have to give him back what he has given to us. And if he has given us the true way, then this is what we should follow. So what we want to consider in this part of our discourse is an understanding of how Elohim views young Teruah. What we want to point out is that the blowing of the trumpet has a lot to do with Elohim's communicating 
with his people. So let us consider some texts in Exodus, Shemuth, which speaks about the blowing of the trumpet. Now, let us turn to the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we want to look at uh, Exodus chapter 19. And in Exodus chapter 19, there are three verses we want to look at. We're talking about the trumpets, okay, the blowing of the trumpets. Okay, here the Bible says in Exodus 19, and we want to look at verse 13 first. Now, the Bible tells us in Exodus 19, 13, it says, there shall not an hand touch it. You know, they're talk, talking about the mountain that they was going to receive the uh, commandments that Elohim was going to give his people. He said, there shall not and hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be a beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet sound soundeth loud, they shall come up to the mount. Okay, so in other words, he said, I got something to give you, but I don't want you to touch the mount. And when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up to the mount. Okay. All right, that's verse 13. Now we want to go to verse 16. And, and verse 16 says this. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. So whoever was blowing this trumpet, and I don't think it was anybody from Israel, even though the Bible doesn't say, but Moses went up in that mount by himself. So I can only think it was a heavenly being that was blowing that trumpet. And as he blew it, he said it was so loud, exceeding loud, that even the people, when they heard it, it said the, the camp, they tremble. Okay, now let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 of Exodus chapter 19 says, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded loud, when, when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and Elohim answered him by voice. Now, when we look in Exodus 19, 19, there are three voices that are spoken over here, three voices. The first voice, the Bible says in verse 19 of the 20th, of the 19th chapter, it was the voice of the trumpet. Okay. The second voice was the, the Bible said Moses spoke. That was the second voice. And then it said Elohim answered him by a voice. So you got the voice of the trumpet, the voice of Moses, and the voice of Elohim. You got those three voices. So if we have those three voices, then what we are looking at is simply this, that when Elohim often spoke to his people, in order to get their attention, he blew the trumpet first. And when the trumpet was blown, then he could tell them what he wanted to tell them. So what we are saying, basically, and what the scriptures are saying, is that the trumpet was an extension to the voice of Elohim. It aided him in giving what he was giving to his people. So when we look at those verses, they are telling us that. Even though these texts aren't speaking particularly about young Teruah, I'm not saying they're speaking particularly about young 
to rule, yet they are telling us about how Yahuwah uses the trumpet. And if we can understand this principle, then perhaps we can be able to engage into this day with a greater understanding and comprehension. When these texts speaks about the voice of a trumpet, how are we to understand the personification of the voice of the trumpet? Consequently, if the trumpet has a voice, I suspect that it's the voice of an intelligent voice communicating an intelligent message to his people. Now, according to Exodus 19:19, we see simultaneously the voice of the trumpet and then the voice of Moses and then the voice of Elohim. <laughs> okay, now, so we are told that as the voice of the trumpet sounded long and loud, and Elohim answered him by a voice, here, these three voices are working together to communicate the message of Elohim. The trumpet gets their attention. Moses is going to speak, but Elohim speaks to Moses in order to speak to the people. So it appears strongly that these three voices are working together. The voice of the trumpet was aroused the attention of Yah's people. The voice of Moses was to speak to Elohim, and the voice of Yah was to respond to Moses. So apparently, the voice of the trumpet was to prepare Moses, and and Yah was a with a dialogue. Moses and Yahuwah was to have a dialogue. So let us see how this dialogue works out in other scriptures. So let us look at some other texts that may uh, allude and speak about the voice of the trumpet and the voice of the people as well as the voice of Elohim. So let us keep in mind two basic factors about the voice of a trumpet as we view these texts. In order to produce the voice of the trumpet, we must first have some, we must have the spirit of Elohim. And secondly, we must, we have speech to follow. So what we are saying is that when you look up in the mountain, when this trumpet sound, you had the speech You had the speech, but the speech had to first be accompanied by the spirit. So what we are saying, the two factors that we are, we, we are looking at is, we first look at the spirit of Elohim. That's the first thing. Because usually after the spirit of Elohim, then comes the speech. Okay? So we're looking at the spirit and then the speech. So let us see if we can follow that scenario. All right, so let's turn to Genesis. We'll start first book of the Bible. We want to look at Genesis chapter 1, and in Genesis chapter 1, we want to look at verses 2 and 3. Okay, now, here, here's what we are told in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 1, and verses 2 and 3. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, 
And the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim, the Ruach Hello, Elohim, moved upon the face of the waters. So in verse 2, it is saying, you first had the spirit, the Ruach of Elohim, and it moved upon the waters. Now, notice what it said in verse 3. And Elohim said, so what we are seeing is first the Ruach, and then after the Ruach, we see in creation, Elohim began to speak. So this is following with the principle that when you blow the trumpet, the first thing you need is to blow the trumpet is you need what? You need your spirit. And then once you get to spirit, what happens? You, then the speech follows. You cannot speak without the spirit. In order to talk, you got to have air. Okay. So the Bible says that Elohim, in the beginning, he sent out a spirit. And after he sent out a spirit, then he spoke. Now let's turn to Genesis uh, chapter 2. In verse 7, the Bible says this. It said, And Yah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So again, we see that the breath, when he was making man, in the creation he used the spirit and the speaking. Now we see that when he made man, what did he do? The Bible says that he breathed into man's nostrils a breath of life, and man became a what? A living soul. So what we are seeing basically here is that he starts man by doing what? He puts the breath of life in man because he has to start with the spirit. And then later on, when he tells uh, Adam to name the plants, uh, not the plants, but name the animals, and he started naming the animals, how, how did he have speech to name the animals? Because he had the spirit of Elohim in it. And when he had the spirit of Elohim, then he could speak. Now, let us turn to Genesis chapter 8. Okay, Genesis chapter 8. Let's look at see what that has to say. Genesis chapter 8, and we want to look at verse number 1. Now, the Bible tells us here, it says, And, and Elohim remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle, that was with him in the ark. And Elohim made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters as swayed. Okay, now this is the restoration of the, uh, of the earth after it was destroyed by water. So Elohim made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters began to dry up, or as the Bible says, assuaged, which means to subside or to go away. So what do we see here? We see two things, okay? Okay, let, when we look at it, Genesis 8, verses 1, there are two things we want to look at. It says, there was the wind that passed over the earth, and the waters assuaged. Now, according to biblical prophecy, wind means the spirit. That's the same word wind here is the same word in Genesis chapter 2. I mean, not chapter 2, but Genesis verse 2 of chapter 1 that we just read. The same word that is used for spirit was ruach, and the same word for spirit for wind here is ruach. That means spirit, okay? All right, but in other places of the, uh, of the Bible, sometimes they use spirit or wind. 
And then it says, and the waters assuaged. Now, waters often represents the word of Elohim. And the word of Elohim is uh, represented by the water. And so when the waters covered the entire earth and was overridden by this flood, that was Elohim's word cursing the earth, and it was represented by the water. So even in the restoration, we have the wind, which is the spirit, and the water, which is the word. Okay? So let us turn to Exodus now, in Exodus chapter 14. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 14, and we want to look at uh, verse 21. Exodus 14, 21. Okay, now, when we read in this particular verse, uh, we want to discover the spirit and the word, or the spirit and the speech. <clears throat> All right, here we are. Exodus chapter 14, and we're looking at verse 21. Here the Bible says, it said, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Yah caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Okay, so here we find that ancient Israel is now uh, being followed by the pharaohs, and they wanted to know how to cross. And Elohim told Moses, "Stretch forth your hand." When he stretched forth his hand, an east wind came, and when it came, it divided the waters. So when we look at the deliverance of his children when they came out of Egypt, uh, Yah caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. And as it blew all night long and made the sea divided and the waters were divided, the east wind is it sounds like it's Elohim's favorite wind, because when you read in a number of places of the Bible, it constantly talks about the east wind, the east wind. And we know that when Yeshua comes back to this earth, he's going to come from the east. So apparently, uh, wherever heaven is, is east of us. It says that the east wind came and blew all night and it divided the water. So what are we looking at? So the east wind represents the spirit. And the dividing of the waters is rightly dividing the word of truth. So when they divided the waters, and the waters represent the word, they was rightly dividing the words of truth. So if ancient Israel or ancient Mizraim or ancient Egypt, if they saw those waters divided, if they had understood that the waters were representative of the word, and the word was Elohim's word, and to rightly divide the word, when they saw that water being divided, they should have known that that was truth, but they didn't. They tried to go in the same path that ancient Israel went, but they were following the wrong course because Israel was following Elohim's word. They were following the Pharaoh's word, and they got drowned. So we must, when we deal with the scriptures, we must properly understand uh, that the spirit must go before us. And when the spirit goes before us, then we can rightly divide his word. All right, let's turn to Exodus 19. 
And I think we 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 primarily dealt dealt with it, but we're just gonna look at another glimpse of uh, Exodus 19:19. 19, 19. And here it says, "And when the voice of the trumpet sounded, and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and Elohim answered him by a voice." Now, uh, here, this was the giving of the Torah or the giving of the law. Now, the sound of the trumpet was the spirit. And the speaking of Moses and Elohim, that was the speech or the speaking. So you have the trumpet representing the spirit and the speaking is represented by Moses and Elohim. Okay, let us turn to the book of Joshua. Uh, the book of Joshua. And in Joshua, we want to look at chapter 4 and verse 23, Joshua 4, 23. And the Bible says here in the 23rd chapter of Joshua, chapter 4, it said, And Yah, your Elohim, dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over as Yah, your Elohim, did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us, until we were gone over. So he said, same thing he did for Moses, he did for Joshua. And did that. What he did to the Red Sea, he did for the Jordan. He divided the Jordan by the east wind, the Holy Spirit, and he divided the word of Jordan which was the rightly dividing the word of truth. If they and Jericho could have understood this, then they would have understood that only Elohim can divide his word, and they couldn't. And if he said they were going to overcome them, then that's meant that that was going to be. All right. Let us turn to uh, the book of. Let's turn to the book of Judges. Okay, here in the book of Judges. And in Judges, we want to look at chapter 7 and uh, got a couple of verses there in the seventh chapter of the book of Judges. Okay. All right. Now, the first verse we want to use in the seventh chapter is verse number 16. Now, the Bible says, and he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand and empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. So get the picture here. He is saying Gideon was to go out and to fight, and all Elohim wanted was a few men. He didn't want 10,000 or so, so many. And it ended up that he had only 300 men against the foe that he was coming up against. And so what we're looking at is Gideon's... Uh, uh, deliverance. Now, the Bible says here in verse uh, 16 that they had, number one, they had trumpets, okay? Every man had a trumpet. Second thing they had was an empty pitcher, but within the empty pitcher, they had lamps, okay? All right, now, this have a lot of symbolism in it. The trumpet when they blew it, was going to represent the Holy Spirit. And the empty pitcher with the lamps, the lamps represented what? The Bible said the word of Elohim is a light unto my feet and is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
So we know that the lamp represents the word and the trumpet represents the spirit. So again, we see the spirit and the word or the spirit and the speech. Now let us look at verse 20 of the same seventh chapter of Judges. Now here in verse 20, it says, and the three companies blew. In other words, they had three sides. And on all three sides, you had a hundred men on three sides. It said, and the three companies blew the trumpet and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, the spirit of Yah and of Gideon. See, that's what they were supposed to utter. So when they blew the trumpets, that was the going forth of the Holy Spirit. And then when they broke the pitchers and showed the light, that was the word. And then they said the sword of Yah and of Gideon. That was the speech. So again, we see the spirit and we see the speech uh, in conjunction. Okay. Now, let, let us, uh, let me see. Uh, let us look at, uh, let us go to the, uh, okay, let's go, let me see, one more in the Old Testament. Let me see. Let us go to Ezekiel. All right. Let us go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. All right. Now here in Ezekiel chapter 37, we want to look at verses 1 through 4. Now, here's what the Bible says. It says, starting with verse number one of Ezekiel 37. It said, the hand of Yah was upon me, and he carried me out in the spirit. Okay, so he was carried out in the spirit of Yah, and he sent me, and he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Adonai Yah, thou knowest. And he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of Yah. So again, we see the, the spirit moved first and then he began to prophesy or to speak next. So we see that when that trumpet is blown, then the word follows the trumpet. Okay. Now let us go into, uh, let us go into uh, Matthew, into the New, New Testament. Okay. I want to go to Matthew chapter three. Matthew, okay, Matthew chapter 3, and uh, what we want to do is go to uh, verse 16, Matthew 3, 16. Now, here's what Matthew says. He says in verse 16, he said, And Yeshua, when he was baptized, went straightway up out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the spirit of Elohim descending uh, like a dove lighting upon him. Okay. 
All right. I think we also should have put a 17 there too. Okay. But anyway, 17 says, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So again, we see it said that the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And then there was a voice from heaven. So seeing, we still see the same pattern. We see that the spirit descended and the voice from heaven spoke. So we still see the spirit and the speaking, the spirit and the speaking. Now let's turn to the book of the gospel of John. Okay, in the gospel of John, we want to use the third chapter in, in, in the gospel of John. And we want to go to verse number, number eight, the gospel of John chapter three and verse eight. The Bible says, the wind bloweth where it listeneth, or the wind bloweth where it desires, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth, so is every one that is one of the Spirit. Now, what we want to notice in verse 8, it says, first you got the Spirit that blows, and then you got the sound. You got the Spirit and the sound, okay? You got the spirit and the speech. You hear the sound thereof, okay? All right, let us turn to the book of Acts. Okay, the book of Acts, we want to turn to chapter 2, and we want to look at verse 4. The Bible says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. So again, we see the spirit and the speaking. He said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance so we see when we talk about the trumpet the trumpet is uh in theology elohim's way of getting our attention giving us a message and helping us to understand that message but we have to have the holy spirit and then when the holy spirit has come it can help us to understand the speech okay let's go to my second point now, that was the trumpet theology. Now, the second point deals with the trumpet theory. Now, when we talk about uh, the trumpet, when we, when we consider the trumpet sound, which is made by blowing it, the Hebrew word for blowing is teruah. That's what it means, teruah. Teruah means blowing. However, when we compare teruah, with a number of other Hebraic words, there is a formulated, a trumpet theory. So we want to look at this trumpet theory. Now, a trumpet theory, uh, well, well, when we talk about a theory, it is looked upon as a general proposition by which we can explain something as if it were a fact. In other words, a theory may have something that is that we don't understand fully, but there's enough that we do understand. And in this theory, we want to point out some words which are akin to, to ruach. And those words are ruach and puach. Now, ruach is spelled R-U-A-C-H, and puach is spelled P-U-A-C-H. Now, to, to ruach, when we talk about young Turua, young Turua, now the word Tura, 
to ra uh, that when we say young to rua to rua is spelled t e r u a h t e r u a h to rua okay and that forms the word of you know of of, of what we talking about young to rua so when we look at to rua ruak and puak all of these three words have the letters u a h u a h they have all three of these words have have it in there even though they may be in a different order however within the word to rua we have the entire word ru rua which is our u a so when we look into the word to rua we also see the word our ua and rua our ua means to shout or to cry or to make noise that's what it means to rua okay as we pointed out the word to rua means to blow and from our understanding of ruach which means spirit then we have the hebrew word puach which means to speak so we have in essence to ruah ruach and puach and ruah to okay so to ruah means to blow ruach means spirit puach means to speak and ruah means to shout in theory we have to ruach ruach puach and ruach when we put these word meanings together we have the following to blow with the spirit in order to speak and to shout so on, on this day when we blow the shofar we are speaking and we are shouting out and that is what we call the trumpet uh theory that's the trumpet theory that we have the spirit that we have the blowing the spirit the speaking and also the shouting now let's go to our last point which is uh the trumpet therapy the trumpet therapy okay we looked at the the, the trumpet theology and the trumpet uh and the trumpet theory and now we want to look at the trumpet therapy and when we speak in terms of a therapy it is the treatment of some kind for some disease so what ailment did elohim's people have in which they needed healing or they needed therapy in order to be back to normal when we understand that ancient israel's sins were typified by the sacrificial blood sprinkled before the veil in the sanctuary tabernacle the sprinkled blood was a record of their sins and it was on the day of atonement that these sin this this sinful blood stains would be cleansed away from the sanctuary tabernacle as the sound of the trumpets were blown to remind yah's people that in nine more days 
all of their accumulated sins for the year would be done away with. However, in the antitypical atonement, we blow the trumpet of the gospel to let the world know that Yeshua, our Messiah, would cleanse away all of our confessed sins over a lifetime. When we hear the sound of the trumpet of the gospel, it is good news that Yeshua's death, by his death, all of our sins are forgiven and his atonement for us does away with our sins. All of the sins that we have accumulated, his blood would do away with them. So when we blow the trumpet, it is therapeutic to know that our sins are to be done away with. We look forward to the final day when all of our sins will have been done away with. The trumpet call is a solemn call to repentance, and it is a joyful call to have our sins taken away. And when we turn to Psalms 150th division, Psalms 150. Now here in Psalms 150, here's what the Psalmist David tells us. And we want to look at Psalms 150 verses three and six. And here what David says. In verse three, it says of the Psalms 150th division, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Okay, so he is saying in the first part of this, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Okay. And then in verse six, he says, let everything that has breath praise Yah. And we find that the trumpet is an is, is a instrument that deals with the breath. So here in this part of Psalms 150, verses 3 and 6, David says, praise Elohim with the sound of the trumpet. Let everything that hath breath praise Yah, praise you, Yah. When the trumpet is blown, it blows away all of the spiritual debris we have accumulated for an entire year. The trumpet sound blows away evil. It blows away iniquity. It blows away sins. It blows away transgression. It blows away trespasses. It blows away wickedness. Every year around this time, the trumpet call is given to remind us that the record of sin for the past year are done away with, and we blow the trumpet. So, We blow away our sin. We blow away our iniquity. We blow away our lifestyle of evil. All of our sins are blown away. Eternal Father, we pray that as we understand this day, that the trumpet may get our attention and give us the message and the direction in which we should go. And that direction is toward the day of atonement when all of our sins will be forgiven. In Yeshua's name, we do pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Uh, you know, it's interesting how you brought out about Rosh Hashanah because uh, I saw some Hebrew groups who had posted uh, about a new year. And it just shows that a lot of times, I think a lot of these groups, they're just following with others without doing decent Bible study to see if these things are founded. And, everything. and I think it was good that you brought that out, that it is not a new year that y'all explicitly explains uh, what uh, feast is around new year and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that, I want to get to a couple of questions we have emailed in. And the first one is, reads, some organizations celebrated the Feast of Trumpets yesterday, and they would celebrate the Day of Atonement on Monday, September the 25th. Can you tell me why there is a difference in days when we celebrate these feasts? Okay, there could be a plethora of reasons why this is so, a number of of them. Now, when you deal with many of the traditions uh, or what uh, people have, uh, some people may celebrate it on different times because I've heard them say that they go by the moon over in Jerusalem, see, and whatever Jerusalem says, that's what they go by. But we must understand, we don't live in Jerusalem. Our new month has to begin where we are, not where they are. Okay? And so sometimes, if they go by Jerusalem, and Jerusalem time is different from our time, then they'll, they'll take Jerusalem over this, and they may have a different day. And another another reason why they may do it is because... uh some organizations, they may calculate in a different way, okay? They may calculate in a very different way than than you normally calculate. And by that, what I mean is that if if, if, uh, you have a new moon, okay? Now, according to the Bible, a new moon is just a slither. It's like a crescent, but it's very small. And when a new month come in, you see just a a little ray of light. And when you calculate from that ray of light, then that starts the day. But then sometimes in a month, just like you know, some months have 29 days and some have 30. And some people, they start the calculation when they can't see any moon. They call it the dark moon. The dark moon is when you can't see a moon at all. Mm-hmm. And so they may count that day rather than the day that they can see the silver moon. So if you count it a dark day that there is no moon, then that's going to throw you off a day from when you actually see that small light, which is a new moon, so you will have a different day. Okay. All right. Now, those are two reasons, but let me give you some more why we may have a different day. And I think it's already been brought out, but I'm just going to piggyback on it. Uh, Some people do not know how to calculate today. Okay. And so if you got people who do not know how to calculate today, you got to stop and think, okay, 
number one, if they don't know how to calculate it, then you can almost give them any day and they will follow it because they don't, they don't know what, know how to calculate it for themselves. Okay. Now, the other reason is sometimes the leaders do not know how to calculate it. And so the leaders may borrow it from another organization. And when they get it from another organization, they'll pass it down to their people. Is that wrong? No, it's perfectly le legitimate because I look at a lot of individuals, you know, that keep the days, but I have to say what organization is closest to the Bible that calculates according to the Bible. That's, that's what I go, I go by. Okay. And sometimes you can have a visual, if it's a clear night, you can look out yourself and see whether there's a crescent moon or whatever to start the new month. You can, you can do that yourself. But some people, they go by the astronomical calendar that they may have, you know, uh, in the in the Navy, you know, they have certain calen calen uh, calendars that they know when certain months and days come because they're on the sea and they, they are navigators and they know if they see certain stars and the moon in a certain place, then they know where they are, you know, so they, they use that. They use a naval way of, of calculating. Okay, so... If you don't know and the people don't know and you borrow from somebody else and if they're wrong, then you're following them. And so you you end up wrong too. So it, it's, it's like I said, it's a number of reasons why we worship and do it on different days because we are calculating from different standpoints. Okay. Um... We have another question, too, that reads, Yah says in Isaiah 114, your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hateth. Why does he say that? That was Isaiah 114? Yes. Okay, let's look, see what Isaiah said. If Isaiah said it, he must have some reason for it. Okay, uh... All right, here we are. Okay, Isaiah says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Okay, now, I want you to keep a, keep in mind a principle, not only for today, but uh, in the future, that when, when you read a text, sometimes you can read the text before and after to, to get a context of what he's talking about. Because many people have used this text and they have just used that by itself, okay? And as a result of just using the text by itself, you would draw the conclusion, no, wait a minute, you don't need to keep these feast days because he says the new moons and your appointed feast. Now, when he says appointed feast now, you got to understand that the appointed feast is not only the annual feast days, but this is a Sabbath too. Okay, but I'll get into that just a little bit later. But here's what I'm saying. Uh, they said, well, this is saying that they are trouble unto him. I am weary of them. And they say, well, Elohim don't want you to keep keep it any, anymore. But that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, it says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. You know, they are a trouble Unto me, I am weary of them. Okay, now let's get a background of what he's talking about. Let's look at verses 
13 and 15 that encapture what 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 he's telling Isaiah. He said, I'm weary of you. He said, I'm troubled. He said, it troubles me. The way that you're doing new moons and the appointed feet. He said, that troubles me. And he said, I'm weary to bear them. He said, I'm weary of it. Okay, look what verse 13 says. It said, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meetings. Okay, now, understand what he's saying. He is saying, in this verse, he's also pointing out new moons and also the weekly Sabbath and other assemblies that he's calling. And he is saying to him, it is iniquity, even the solemn meetings. What is he saying? He is saying the way that you are keeping these days is wrong. And it is a lot of iniquity. And you are doing not what I asked you to do. You are bringing this stuff, but you're not living the life. That's what he's telling them. And so since they are trying to keep his holy festivals, he said, I don't even want your festivals because your behavior in these festivals is not as I want it to be. He's not doing what today. He's trying to do with the, their behavior. And since their behavior is connected with the feast day, he said, the way that you keep it, I don't, I don't deal with the way that you keep in your feast days. So I, I'm doing away with it. And then number 15 says, and when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Okay, now let's look at this. Let's, let's, let's be reasonable. He is saying, y'all are so sinful that even when y'all come to do my festival, you make my festival sinful. And he says, even when you pray, he said, I'm not going to even hear you. Okay, now let's be reasonable now. Let's be reasonable. If we draw the conclusion that he is doing away with the feast days, that because they kept them wrongly, that no, we don't keep no more feast days. All right, let's give them that. Let's give them that. Let us say he did, he did away with all the feast days, okay? But then he says, I ain't going to hear your prayer. So are you going to do away with your prayer too? Do, do we stop praying now because he said... I'm not going to even answer your prayer. He said it right there. So why are we praying? Not only not keeping the feast days, but you don't need to pray anymore because he said, I am not going to answer you. And he says that plainly. No, he's not talking about doing away with the feast day. He's talking about doing away with their evil behavior. And if he can get rid of their evil behavior, then he said, I can accept the feast days that you offer to me that I have given to you. And I would also answer your prayer if you get rid of your evil behavior. So your evil behavior is not only affecting the feast days, but it's, it's affecting your prayer as well. So if somebody throw in your face that you're going to get rid of feast day, well, you better get rid of prayer, too, because prayer is in there. OK. Uh, another question. I, well, this question I have. Uh, is there such thing as a high day or a high sabbath i believe it is yeah they have it uh yeah i guess too is it mm -hmm. in mentioned in scripture 
I don't know if it's mentioned in scripture. It, from from my study, mm -hmm. if anybody can find it in scripture, you can let me know and I'll be glad. Mm -hmm. I haven't found it in the scripture, but it doesn't mean because it's not in the scriptures that it's not there mm -hmm. in essence, just like you take the word uh, a millennium. I don't think you find millennium in the scripture, but the uh, millennium means a thousand, you know, deal with a thousand years, but the thousand years are there, but not the word. So what I'm saying, if the concept is there, you don't have to have the wording. But what I'm saying is, I don't see the word or the concepts in scriptures, because for many years I've I've talked about a, a, a high high holy day or or a high Sabbath, and what I was attributing to a high Sabbath was when you had an annual feast day like Passover, or just like Yom Teruah, you know, like we have, and and then it falls on a Sabbath itself. I was saying that was a high Sabbath. I think in some way it is, but I'm not hearing that from most of the community of Sabbath keepers that a high holy day is when you keep a Sabbath and a, a, a weekly Sabbath and an annual Sabbath. I'm not hearing that, and I, I haven't read it. I may have to do more research on that. And then the other thing is that when they speak about a high holy day, mm -hmm. uh, much of it is being attributed not to not to Passover, uh, uh, not to Passover, uh, first fruits and unleavened bread and Pentecost. It's not. Yeah. It's it's not attributed to that. Okay. Many of them attribute the high holy days to mm -hmm. the day that we are celebrating today, which is Yom Teruah, mm -hmm. and to Day of Atonement and the 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 Feast of Tabernacles. They call those the high holy days in the fall of the year. So, like I said. That may be the high holy days, what they call, but uh, I can't be dogmatic and I can't say factually that I understand totally when they say high holy days. Okay. I have to do more research on that. Okay. Uh, also, we know next week, uh, coming up on the 26th, uh, Tuesday, we'll be celebrating the Day of Atonement. And... Mm. One of my questions is, you know, we that's the day we're supposed to afflict our souls. Mm -hmm. um, now, this is for the people who may have health issues. You know, you uh, afflicting your soul. Well, let me put it, ask this, ask it this way. Uh, we're supposed to fast from food and water, or food and drink is my um, knowledge from it in scripture or you just fast what you can, because I know if you have health issues, it may be detrimental to you, but if you are perfectly good in health, are we to um, fast from, from food and, and, and liquids? Yeah. Well, general on the, on the day of atonement, you know, John, basically, when you talk about a fast, you're uh -huh. talking about the abstinence of food and water, okay? Uh -huh. uh, now, when you talk about affliction your soul, usually the affliction comes in when you fast. Uh, fast and affliction is somewhat kind of uh, synonymous. They, they go together, okay? Uh -huh. So when you say, when the Bible says afflict your souls, then... It's speaking somewhat to the to 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 the to the effect that uh, 
in your abstinence, uh, just the daily nourishment that you're taking in, you don't take in, you don't take that in, and you merely abstain. And so that makes your concentration on what is happening on the Day of Atonement. Well, what is happening? That the high priest, Yeshua, in the heavenly sanctuary, he's atoning for our sins. Uh-huh. So we don't want any food or anything to block that out of the way. So we just concentrate on uh, getting the uh, forgiveness, not only the forgiveness, but to doing away with our sins. And that's okay. what we look at. But the affliction is just uh, saying that it's a solemn day uh-huh. and you really want to be forgiven. So your main focus is not, uh, you know, bread and water, just like Yeshua said when he was fasting in the wilderness. Uh, man does not live by bread alone. Yeah. And even so, some people say that they have health challenges. Uh, I used to be a hospital chaplain, and I know many people who come in the hospital who say they have health challenges. The doctor tell them not to eat anything, and sometimes they don't eat for three or four days. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, but it's amazing how that when it comes to Elohim, when we're sick, we want to eat. But when the doctor tells us, uh, we, we don't eat. But we must understand there's a lot of benefits in fasting. And as we follow those benefits, sometimes they can give us more health than eating food itself. Uh-huh. Because it regulates the body in such a way that it can get rid of many toxins. So when you do eat, then the digestive juices in your body has built themselves up so that it's more powerful that when you do eat food, you can digest it a lot better. But I always tell people that uh, when you fast, you have to know your body. And I know my body. Uh-huh. I can't tell you to abstain from food and water. I can only tell you that, you know, the Bible says fast. And you have to apply it to your situation because I don't know your situation. I can tell you to fast from what I'm fasting for and it might hurt you. Uh So you have to take some responsibility rather than for leaders to tell you that you got to do this and that. You got to say, well, wait a minute. Uh, My health may not permit. Well, that's that's okay. That that that's what's happening to you at this time. So you have to follow that advice. But then there's others you know, they may not need to follow that. They can go ahead and fast without food and water. And after the day is over, then they can go ahead and splurge. But what I'm saying is you first got to know yourself and what you're going through. And then you got to make the application with that. And Elohim knows what you're going through. So I don't think it'll be a breach of the commandment of on the Day of Atonement that if you ate something that uh, in your condition, that he would frown upon it. But I do think that if you're in a condition that you can go one day uh-huh. and after that one day, you can go back to food. So I say use common sense and also apply the principle of the Bible and to know that Elohim is not going to give you anything to hurt you. He's giving you something to help you. So on the day of atonement, we are to fast from all things, if possible. When you say all things, what do you I mean? I mean, from food and liquid. Oh, yeah, certainly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. Yeshua, when he's on earth, he said, when you fast, don't be as the hypocrite. Mm-hmm. He said, anoint your head, you know, and uh, put oil on your head and don't appear as you are fasting. Like the hypocrites, they want to go around looking all drab and drab, don't comb their hair and uh, don't wash anything. But Yeshua said, you know, wash yourself and 
and put oil on your head. Don't you don't have to look like you're fasting, but uh-huh. and, and and that's how you fast. Okay. Um. Someone. Uh. We have got a message that I believe John nineteen thirty one um talks mm-hmm. about the high Sabbath. John nineteen. Now let's let's look at that. I'm glad the somebody found that. John chapter nineteen. 19. Got the Gospel of John, 1937. 31. Oh, 1931. Okay, yeah. let's see what that say. Yeah, okay, let me see. Now we ought to be able to get a little light on that. It says, The Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. All right, let's look at that text. That's interesting. Okay, I appreciate the person who brought this. Okay, he said it was a preparation. Okay, and then it says the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day for the Sabbath day was in high day, okay? So that's where we are, okay? Okay, now, if it was on the Sabbath, then the question we have, what Sabbath is this talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm. All right, now, it could have been talking about, well, I don't think it could be talking about the weekly Sabbath because, uh, well, it could be talking about the weekly Sabbath, but what we know is, that if the body is on the cross, it had to be there for a little while. Uh-huh. Because if you're coming up to Friday or, or the Sabbath, in this, and the weekly Sabbath is coming on, then I don't think it was put up there the same day. Mm. Because he said, because uh, the scriptures teach that he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, which would mean he'd be in, in, in the grave. So I would I would think if it's three days and three nights, is attributed to him going uh, to his death, then it had to be that he may have been placed there on a Wednesday, and then you got a Thursday, and then you got a Friday going into the Sabbath. And they said, I don't want his body to be on, on that cross. So if that's a weekly Sabbath, then it says, for the Sabbath was a high day. So what made it high? Was it because the Sabbath, uh, uh, and also uh, the, the unleavened bread, because, see, when you celebrate the Passover, you celebrate the Passover the day that it was, he was put on the cross, okay? Then, after he was crucified, you also have unleavened bread, which was for seven, uh, yeah, I think it was seven days for unleavened bread after uh, Passover, because the evening of the Passover you automatically went into unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. So are we saying that you got the weekly Sabbath and Passover, or are we saying you got the weekly Sabbath and unleavened bread? Because sometimes they speak of unleavened bread and the Passover in the same breath, and sometimes they speak in particularly of the unleavened bread, the unleavened bread portion so if it's unleavened bread in the Sabbath, that would make it high. That would make it high too. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm gonna I'm search this text out a little bit more too. But I think the person who who sent this in, 
and give me some insight to uh, be able to probe it uh, a lot better because sometimes they call the feast days, as we were referring to the other day, the Exodus, I think it was in Numbers and also Exodus, uh, and also uh, Leviticus 23, especially Leviticus 23, they call, they said, you're going to keep the young Teruah as you would a Sabbath. So sometimes even a, a annual feast is called a Sabbath. Uh -huh. Okay. Even though it's an annual feast, it only comes once a year, but even in coming once a year, it's only one day. And that one day can still be celebrated as a Sabbath. But I think what it's saying here is that you got a Sabbath and also you got the week of the unleavened bread. And since those two coincide, that is a high uh, high Sabbath or a high holy day. Okay. And with that, uh, I'll leave it at there and I'll try to do more research and, and be definitely clear on this. Okay. So if you have any more, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Uh, Pastor, can you take us to the throne and then give us a, Another chauffeur blow before we uh, close everything out. Okay, then. Hello, and Father. We thank you for the dialogue and the interaction that we've had concerning your day. Thank you that we can learn, not only from the speaker, but we can learn from those who come on, that as we contribute our knowledge with their knowledge and their knowledge with our knowledge, we can be learners in the school of Yeshua. Now, Heaven Father, as we go through the rest of the day, even if we don't have a trumpet, help us to shout and then make some noise and to get all of this sin out of our system. And as we do that, oh, Heavenly Father, we can follow in the trend of being more healthier for you. So as we look at the trumpet truth, the theology, the trumpet theology, the trumpet therapy, and the trumpet theory, that we can be able to know, oh, Heavenly Father, that we are following in the trend of knowing the trumpet call, the call us out of sin into a world of forgiveness. So as we close this service, help us to be true to the rest of this day that we may be celebrating it as you would have us to celebrate it. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. 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 forward to you tuning in next this coming Shabbat at 3 p.m. Shalom.